Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's bang on noon. Hear ye, hear ye. Caucus will come to order. <laughs> Who's in the house today? Roll call. I'm Tim Watkin. I thought you were going to say bring out your dead, but that's probably uh, in bad, bad taste. Um, I'm Guy Nesbitter. And I'm Lisa Owen. And I'm Scott Campbell. Thank you. Great to have uh, Guy back uh, this week. And on the agenda for caucus this week, uh, weak border defence's new border policies and a delayed election. Let's kick off with border policies because it is noon on Thursday, literally to the second, um, as we start this podcast. And an hour ago, National um, announced its new border policies to deal with COVID-19. New Zealand First announced theirs last night. Um, it's, you know, a week in which the government's go hard, go early line has been rather damaged because they turns out they didn't go as hard and early as they were saying. Um, what are these reactions, these new border policies going to do to that, guys? Well, I think National has um, really finally uh, taken its opportunity and it was handed a, a big opportunity with this recent outbreak uh, to actually change the momentum of the campaign. And they've, they've tried to do this with uh, this announcement today. I mean, the Prime Minister said it's going to be a COVID election. And um, Judith Collins uh, announcing their border policy is, is really an attempt, I think, um, at this point to, to, to try and, and do that, not only to highlight uh, the government's failures in this area, but to, to try and put forward an alternative plan and, and a credible one. I think she's made a reasonable fist of it. What are the main points? Let's just run through. Um, do you want to jump in, Lisa? And... Yeah, sure. So they're going to establish a separate border control agency. It's going to be Te Kurawai Whakamaru. Uh, they're going to require people travelling back to New Zealand to give evidence of a negative COVID test before they arrive. So before you jump on the plane, you're going to have to have that. Including New Zealand citizens? Correct. That's what they're saying. Yep. We'll come to a discussion about that shortly, <laughs> no doubt. Um, they're going to deploy what they call compulsory contact tracing technology. So if you're working within an agency that is face-to-face with returning people who are going into isolation and quarantine, you will have to carry some form of technology, likely to be Bluetooth or a COVID card, so that they're not relying on you manually to, to record where you've been. Also, people in quarantine will be required to have that too. They say they're striving... And that's another interesting word, oh, yes. striving to have a 60-minute test target. So if you want a COVID test, they say you should be able to get it within 60 minutes. And they want tests to be more readily available. Again, no exact definition about what that means. So they want more testing and it to be wider spread. But once again detail not exactly spelt out there. Uh, this new Border Protection Agency will have extra resources. They say it will report directly to a minister. A new minister, yep. And that is kind of a backhanded, well, poke at the government because they're saying 
they keep saying you've got the housing minister in control. Yeah. So Megan Woods is the minister in charge of managed isolation quarantine. Operationally, you've got Air Commodore Digby Webb, who is in charge of like the people on the ground and the movements of the people on the ground. And then you've got the health minister beside that. And then you've got the prime minister who's standing up every day. And the health director general. And then you've got the director general of health. So one minister, one agency. That's it. You know, those are the big points, I and, suppose. And mandated test for rest-home workers was the other yep. um, the other one in, in there. And mandated testing for frontline workers, which yes. obviously is the current government's policy, although <laughs> whether the theory measures up to the reality, it has not been the case. And we'll definitely come to that. Um, and the, the, the focus, interesting, there was a lot of talk about the, the contact tracing from Judith Collins, who said this. New Zealand's current tracing app has only been downloaded by a third of New Zealanders. And each download had only registered an average of five scans each. And those are the numbers given to us this morning. National will immediately invest in and deploy a Bluetooth application to enhance contact tracing capability for the general public. National will immediately bolster the campaign to increase the use and take-up of the current COVID-19 tracing app. And National will make contact tracing compulsory for new entrants and border workers. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I think uh, to what Lisa was saying before about the fact that, you know, at the moment the government looks like there are a number of different strands that are trying to work together to get uh, to manage this, right? And at the moment there are, the balls are being dropped all over the place. Whereas what I think seen today from National is at least the resemblance of a plan. Uh, and people have almost been crying out for that. Give us something to, something that might be a little bit more concrete. And I think Judith Collins said today that she wants to inject the steel into this response. And I think when you looked at her standing at the lectern this morning, it was a different Judith Collins than we've seen over the last couple of weeks. It was almost like this, uh, she was trying to position herself far more states woman-like and far more pre, uh, prime ministerial and the little backhanded jibes that the prime minister had gone. There was a different, uh, in some ways it may have been her moment and I think what Guyan said earlier around it's given them an issue to grab onto. Um, I, I have to put my hand up, I've downloaded the app and I've used it most places I've been. I probably haven't used it everywhere but hearing Judith Collins standing up there basically saying you're going to have to do it now wherever you go Scott and uh, by the way I'm going to get tough. I think that's probably something that the public have been looking for and, and asking for. Do you not find that interesting, that, that the party of personal responsibility <laughs> is now saying, I cannot rely on you to be personally responsible? Exactly what I was going to say. When, when, so you're mandating, aren't you, Guy? And you're, you're saying, you have to download this, you have to do this, we are going to be tracking you. And interestingly enough, it's the party that says, you've got your own personal responsibility, but they're actually telling me that they don't trust me. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. But I, I think National's all, also been a conservative party for a long time, and that, that they are New Zealand's conservative party. There's always been a tension there, hasn't there, between personal liberty and being the so-called champions of law and order. They've always positioned themselves as uh, tough on law and order, whatever that really means to people. And a lot of people will have some very negative perceptions of that 
in terms of public policy and quality of public policy. But I, I think they can get away with, um, with, with, that, with that tension. Um, it's not a, a, a neoliberal um, or libertarian party as was positioned by ACT um, in, in past years. So I, I don't see that as deeply problematic for them. And further to, to both those points and, and uh, to build on what Scott was saying, um, Judith Collins, correct me if I'm wrong, was police and corrections minister, I think, wasn't she, in the John Key government um, at various times. And so, you know, I think people will look at her and say that she's a minister with some of those experiences and associate her with some of, some of that. So, look, the stars are aligned for her to make some headway with it. I think they fumbled the initial gift. And look, I don't want to be disrespectful to the people who've had this dreadful virus, but politically, it, it is a way to, for them to get back into the game, isn't it? And I think they originally fumbled that gift with, with Jerry Brownlee's conspiratorial rabbit hole digging. And, and now we're seeing a genuine and fairly considered effort to, to actually um, make some headway. Interesting to see um, Dr. Shane... <laughs> And see, uh, we've become his own me. But um, Shane, Shane Vetti, who who had a very considered contribution on the medical cannabis um, bill, and I only mention that because he's obviously quite a thoughtful character, and it sounds like he's had some some role in this. So it looks quite credible, isn't it? This is a slight false factor. You know, it's, it's it's quite a considered policy by the looks of it. It was interesting how often Colin stepped aside to let Vetti answer some of the questions at the press conference. He he, he was you know very prominent in. Um, in the release of this policy. I think, and it's interesting in terms of the, yeah, I, I, I think some with the national are a little bit uncomfortable about the mandated stuff that they're doing, but um, they're reading the mood. I don't, you know, I think that's where yeah. the public is now. And, and even when even ACT is, you know, has potentially got the space to play the freedom card, and it's really not. They're still saying the government had one job, protect the borders. Well, no one's know, a so libertarian no in a crisis. No, exactly. I think that <laughs> but, but space is that just being, everyone's going the other way right now. So, yeah. Isn't that the issue? Isn't that the alternative approach, right? So right from the start of this, we've been told that this is a high trust environment where um, people were being asked to stay home, to wash their hands, uh, to use the app wherever you go now. Uh, and the reality is, is that we've seen failures somewhere across the system, whether it's security guards going to sleep or, uh, or putting up um, personal details on websites. Uh, and effectively now what we've got is, is the other side of the, the debate saying you are going to have to do this and we are going to be hard. Yeah, well, it's one of those situations too, isn't it, that you get the freedoms internally if we can strengthen um, the protections at the border. So it's, you know, you kind of need one to get the other, don't you? I would have to say, um, when Scotty talks about the moment that Judith Collins had in announcing this policy, I actually thought Shane Vetti was the standout there. Yeah. Um, he was he was calm and, as Guyon says, considered, and actually has a really gentle tone when he's presenting things to you. It's kind quite of reassuring, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, he draws you in. The thing I would point out about Judith Collins is that she has repeatedly said... I have zero tolerance for COVID-19 in the community. Well, we pretty much all have zero tolerance for it in the community. It doesn't mean you're not going to have it. I mean, under the national government, there was zero tolerance for meth. There was zero tolerance for gangs, but we still had those as well. Just because you say it doesn't make it so. But it does play well for Crusher Collins' image, right? It gets it her does, back into using words it, like tough and so forth, which yep, does play to her brand. It plays well in terms of brand, but we're talking about substance here. Yep. So... 
one of the things she said was the big difference between us and those other guys is that we're going to do what we say we're going to do. But you can't give a guarantee when it comes to this. It's no. a pandemic. But it does look like... I, mean, no, I, I look at those, 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 the hotels still at the moment, and we could bring in the New Zealand First policy bit because I'm fascinated by that. The, the hotels, you see these hotels in the middle of cities, you see those temporary fences stuck up around things. And I keep... Those fences as a real symbol to me. They look temporary. And that, to me, keeps visually saying to me, this is a, a kind of a reaction plan. Um, we're still, uh, I'm still not convinced, and certainly with the, the discussions of the past week with the, the lack of border testing, it doesn't always feel like we've moved into that more sustainable, okay, mm. COVID's going to be around for a year or two or three, how we actually do this long term. We're still in this kind of temporary fence um, phase. And, and when you go to what National's talking about today and what New Zealand First has talked about, which intrigues me, the use of actual military bases um, to, as, as places to, to build and put users' quarantine facilities... I, I can see some public appeal on that. One or two or three large isolation facilities, you know, for Nuapai, which has a, a pretty almost brand new state-of-the-art, small but state-of-the-art medical centre in there. Um, uh, they're talking about Wairuru. <laughs> Sorry for the isolation people. Um, but uh, maybe down in Ohakia. You know, these are by definition isolated. They have clear perimeters. They are staffed by people who know how to guard things. They um, yeah, they limit rather than thirty something hotels. They're in a couple of places altogether. It's cheaper. I mean, I can I can see a real public appeal in that kind of military approach that New Zealand First is talking about. It's about whether it fits the health requirements as well, because one of the big things is separate bathrooms and toilet facilities. And I don't know whether you're going to have that in a barracks-type situation. Not sure what is in those um, facilities. In principle, yes. I've talked to a number of epidemiologists overseas who actually say what you're saying, Tim, because this isn't just a one-off. Like, even if we get this one under control, there are going to be others, yeah. they say. Next and time they, next time. they recommend purpose-built managed isolation and quarantine facilities. If we're planning for the future, yeah. they say build purpose. And, and why not build those on military bases where we have, there is a perimeter where they're guarded and, you know? I, th I think the problem that New Zealand First has um, is the fact that they have been in government for this, this term. And they've got the number two in government. And I think it's a, it's a big ask to um, be positioning it to voters saying, oh, this government isn't doing enough um, at the border. Well, you are the government. You're part of the government. You're in a coalition agreement. You've got the number two in, in the government. It's not to say that they can't have their own policies they want to take to, to, to the election. I just think that it's a bit of a difficult ask to ask the voters to think, oh, gee, this... this um, Oppositional approach is um, is refreshing to, to my ears when yeah. they've been in, in government and, and in um, cabinet right through the lockdown and in cabinet right through the lockdown and um, it's pretty hard to, to to swivel around and say, hey, look, you know, we have a fresh approach here when you've been part of it. But what, what uh, in some ways, though, what we're seeing here are the other parties planning. And I think what you just said before, Lisa, around planning for the future. Um, and you've got a Labour Party or a government, predominantly the, the Prime Minister and, and three or four ministers sitting behind her, who are managing the current crisis uh, and, and, you know, doing the best job that they can, I suspect, on that. Uh, but they don't really seem to have the time. They look a little bit tired. Um, yeah. the, the PM this week uh, in the House wasn't that strong and 
fumbling through some of her messaging. She's a perfectionist. She doesn't do that. Uh, David Parker looked uh, like a bit of a possum in the headlights uh, in the media this week. And then you've got the minister with two of the biggest portfolios being health and education, trying to manage things. They are managing. The others are now coming up with plans on how to deliver. Uh, and as far as, you know, last week or the week before, we were saying no one's got any policy. Well, now I think we're starting to see plans, right? And that might be as important as future policy. I'd agree with that. I thought um, Jacinda Ardern was not her normal self in the House under questioning from Judith Collins this week. Um, and they do. They look tired. And we, when you look at Chris Hipkins, it is extraordinary. I mean, it was extraordinary at the time that he was given those two major portfolios. But to see... And, and look, he's doing pretty well. I think he's one of the more competent ministers. Um, but to, to, to be Minister of Health in a pandemic and also to be um, Education Minister um, at the same time, it, it seems extraordinary. And you have to say, he points to a lack of depth. This all kicked off. Let's just let's just recap here because um, you know this is all about the border and the border all came into focus um, like at the end of last week when the news came out about the lack of testing. So let's just hear how this started. News Hub can reveal that just one week before our current community outbreak, 63.5% of all border and hotel isolation workers in Auckland had never been tested for COVID-19. So this was the first of um, Michael Moore's stories um, in News Hub about this, and uh, he had cobbled together data that other people hadn't been able to get hold of to show that 63% of border and isolation staff in Auckland had never had a COVID test. Um, and that people very quickly went back to, a, as you will have heard, often quoted June 23 press release from uh, Health Minister David Clark at the time saying, quote, regular health checks and asymptomatic testing of all border-facing workers, unquote, was the, the top line of, a, of the new strategy to deal with it. Um, we had a July 15th speech from uh, Jacinda Ardern saying uh, that all of our frontline workers are, quote, getting regularly tested. Turned out they were not. How damaging has this been um, in terms of the, the election campaign, guys. Is this, a, is this one of those campaign pivotal moments? I think it's been pretty damaging, very damaging indeed. And it's been quite interesting to watch how they've tried to, well, paper over it. And the Prime Minister, um, she does her round of interviews early on in the week with the media, and obviously it kept coming up. Why you kind of made this promise, you said you were doing it, but you weren't. And there's been talk of miscommunication and then we hear from dissonance. the yeah, there's been dissonance. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because I was just going to say that the Director General of Health has used that exact word. Well, let's hear as him say well. that. Let's let's hear. Prime Minister's understanding, though, was that the policy had been rolled out as expected. Did you check to see that it, that it was happening? Well, I was checking uh, every single day, and uh, you know there was clearly a dissonance between what the. Prime Minister thought was happening and what was happening on the ground, uh, but that doesn't mean we, were, we weren't providing full information through, so it may be in the way the information was communicated. Is dissonance good enough? And there was, a, you see here at the end, that he did defend himself, we were providing full information through, don't blame me. Yeah, I think the problem with this too, I mean, obviously there are real problems if you're going to not carry through with the testing at the border, given that's such a vulnerable area. It's also damaging for the government because there is an inbuilt perception that Labour has an issue with delivery. And, you know, we, we know that over Kiwi Build and various other projects that they were vulnerable in that area. So I think that hurts a little bit more um, that they said that they were going to do something and then did not deliver. 
Um, and then it's not quite sh sure who's accountable. I mean, it almost became farcical as they threw the hot potato around to see who was actually going to hold on to it. And of course, no one wants to. So I, I think they're vulnerable on that um, because some people will see that they've got four. Scott, I mean, yeah, in a matter did, of, did no and it's a matter at, of trust. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I just want to throw in the numbers. Did no one notice, oh, we've got 3,000 border workers and only 1,000 tests? I mean, you know, clearly they weren't being tested. Well, and, and, and or were, was the information going through and not being looked at correctly? It's, it's, it's a lovely thing when you're being congratulated by everybody for having a fantastic elimination strategy that was working well, right? And in good times, they were flying through and, and, and mm. everything seemed to be great. Uh, all of a sudden, it feels a little bit shaky. The wheels are just a little bit shaky. And when you have... You know, the questions of do you have confidence in all of your ministers, Prime Minister? Um, and, and she's saying, yes, I do. Uh, and then in another breath having to say, oh, but I'm bringing in uh, Heather Simpson, who's, a, you know, fix it for everything when it's going wrong person. Um, I think that's, it just shows it's a bit messy. Uh, and in uh, an and election campaign, that's the last thing that Labour would have wanted. You know, they were stumbling their way to victory and, and quite happily being able to get there across the line. Another four weeks of this before we even get to the election campaign now, um, it's just more time for problems. Yeah, the thing I was going to say about the Prime Minister, when she does her round of interviews, she does all the media on one particular day. And in those interviews, she was repeatedly asked about this. And she kept bringing up the fact that uh, a number of workers have said that they didn't need or want the test, that there was some pushback, right? And it's interesting because I listened across the board, taped a number of these interviews, listened to them all, and it was the same words being used all the time in the same themes. Testing was happening. It just wasn't nearly as comprehensive. And one thing I do want to raise, and this is, I think, an important point generally, we have picked up on reluctance amongst staff. And I do want to be clear here that I'd say that not to blame anyone. We did have the testing set up. Not everyone who was asymptomatic was going through it. It appears that in some cases, staff were reluctant to be testing and we needed to compel them. Later on in the piece, there was discussion around whether or not we were getting some reluctance. You're saying you didn't know that. Ashley Bloomfield's saying that there was miscommunication. What we are able to say is that a hell of a lot of people have been tested oh, over the John, past let three... Oh, John, be clear. I have, I have acknowledged that we did... We were told that there was some reluctance from staff. So we did know that. And okay. I say that not to place blame anywhere. I do recall conversations around reluctance of staff to be tested. I do recall that. Um, I even re remember raising it with uh, union representatives around lifting the testing of staff at the border. Again, it is important here to be very clear, this is not a situation here where we are blaming anyone. So there you have it. Those words kept coming up. That was a variety, a cross-section of grabs from the various interviews that she did that day. So she's pivoting from the fact that she was unaware there was this breakdown, that the tests weren't happening and she thought they were happening, to now focusing on the fact that there is a reluctance, as she puts but it. But she's not blaming anyone. But she's not blaming anyone. No, 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 but they were reluctant. So and, put and, it on to, puts it onto them and not her. Yeah, and the thing I would raise about this and, and ask people to consider is that the Prime Minister is known to be a very good communicator. So I think it would be a mistake to think these are casual comments and the frequency and familiarity of the words used in every interview 
makes me think these aren't casual comments at all. No, and, and my problem with, with those comments, which I don't think has been probably picked up enough this week, is that initially the line was, or we didn't know, there was this miscommunication, that we thought the testing was happening. But when you say we were having conversations back in July about a reluctance, well, actually, then you yes. knew. You knew, actually, back in July that the 100% testing wasn't happening. So don't then come along and tell us we didn't know. You can't have it both ways. She's clearly telling us some porkies one way or the other. And Scotty, it was a dangerous strategy, wasn't it? Because then what, the very next day or within hours, we had the union coming forward and worker groups Mm. coming forward and saying, no, no, we never said we wouldn't have a test. We actually wanted some and you told us we couldn't have them. And more than that, we've got another clip here from another Michael Moore story about people asking for tests. The worker who's been at the airport 10 years says frontline staff requested a regular testing program multiple times, but management declined this. Just told it wasn't available or they didn't have resources to do it. Yeah, and that's the issue, right? It's a trust one. Uh, and and if you're now starting to bounce around about whether or not we knew something or, or actually maybe it was a miscommunication or maybe we did know but we didn't know everything, um, those are the types of questions that um, both the Prime Minister and the rest of the government will be hating right now. It's the last thing that they would have wanted uh, is any any suggestion uh, that they haven't been playing with a straight bat because you've got the Prime Minister who for months and months and months now has stood there and said, be kind to each other, uh, look after each other. And now you've got people saying, well, what did you know and when did you know it? Uh, and why weren't you telling us something? Uh, and when you've got the unions coming out and having a different uh, version of the truth from the Prime Minister and the Labour Party, you know you've got a problem. <laughs> so where does it... So, so you know, I've, I've talked to some people in, around Parliament saying that this could... Um, uh, this could give National an extra couple of points so they actually feel as though this could actually build some momentum. Maybe not... Um, a, a winning momentum, but it actually gives them... Do, do you think that voters are actually... Um, this is a vote-changing issue that people will switch parties on the back well, of? Well, I think it could be. I mean, you'd still have to say um, National are massive underdogs here, and, you know, it's unlikely they're going to be able to form a government, isn't it? Um, in my assessment of it, the path to power is very tough for National from here. But there must be a lot of voters who switched from... You know, Simon Bridges' National Party, remember he was at 45% or somewhere around there pre-COVID, and switched to Jacinda Ardern, felt um, that she was doing a remarkable job in the crisis. So some of those votes must be up for grabs again, right? Um, And, you know, she's delayed the election and, in my view, made the right call um, on that. But as... Well, she listened to caucus last week, clearly, where we said that the campaign was untenable (laughs) without it. (laughs) She listened to uh, she listened to one caucus. It might have been the New Zealand first one, actually. <laughs> but um, you know, as Scott says, you know, she's still weeks out from from the from the actual campaign, and this is um, this is going to be untidy if, if it goes on. So yeah, certainly, and it's a it's a chance for National to make up as much ground as it can. Who wins and lo- loses, Lisa, from this delayed election? 
Well, I think Jacinda Ardern wins some points because she's been seen to be conciliatory yes. and has pushed it out a month. But what does that actually achieve in the scheme of things? You know, what's different as a result of that? I would argue not a hell of a lot. They get a little bit of extra time to do their campaigning, but not significantly. National gets a campaign launch. They get people yeah. presumably get some buses back on the road at they some get, point. They, and... they get a few baubles, but, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> Winston Peters and his baubles. I don't know. But surely... Surely it's it's most advantageous, really, when you think about it for national. They need the space. They need time to forget about, oh, what's-his-name Walker and, oh, what's-his-name someone else. You know, that they need people to... They need some distance between the absolute shambles they've gone through with leadership changes um, and to actually get some momentum. And you can, you know, within a few weeks, um, things can really change. So I think that that is um, gold for them. Um, obviously, New Zealand First was pushing for it as well, and um, they will feel that, you know, that time will be useful for them. But in my assessment of it, the people who gain most for the, from this are the National Party. Yeah, National has the luxury of not having to govern at the moment, right? So they have the ability to come up with all of these plans and have an alternative view with actually, without actually being the ones who are managing this response at the moment. And you've got a government who are pulling probably some really long hours. Look at Chris Hipkins over this week has been on all of the early morning radio uh, has been in the House, has been taking general debate outside he's of question the time. House too, isn't he? He's lead, and, and yeah. then he's he's the he's managing the response. And no wonder they're tired. And so they've got another four weeks of actually trying to get through this before they get into real campaigning. Uh, so I actually think it's it's for you've got a government who's almost an extra time of the rugby game, who's ahead on the scoreboard. But you've got a you've got an opposition that is starting to get some feeling and some momentum, and they're worried about whether or not they drop the ball. But the government is still well ahead on the scoreboard, isn't it? And 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 look, you talked about a high trust environment. One thing about what's happened with with Jacinda Ardern is that yeah, there's been a dent this week. But you come back to to the point that she is still this incredibly high trust brand, isn't she? I think it's still her thing, isn't it? I understand what you're saying. I think a lot of it's going to come down to how the public see this in the sense, do they look at this, and I'm talking about the mistakes around COVID-19, this new community outbreak and the second case of the maintenance man. Again, in both cases, we don't know the origins. So do they look at this and do they go, okay, this is a pandemic. We're still ahead of the game in terms of other countries and it's inevitable that we're going to get other outbreaks, as Ashley Bloomfield has said. Or do they look at it and they listen to Judith Collins and they hear her repeatedly use the words shambles and the phrase we've been sold a pup New Zealanders have been sold a pup and do they buy that and look at it and say this is systemic there's massive failures in this system or not or do they accept that this pandemic there are going to be ebbs and flows, highs and Mm. lows so which which story do they buy into Yeah, there's an uncertainty versus confidence line there isn't there I would I would have thought that Jacinda Ardern has got an extraordinary amount of political capital still, and it would take a lot more than this, in, in my assessment, to, to damage that. But how bad is it going to get? What other revelations are we going to find out about uh, in terms of things that they didn't tell us at the time or other obvious holes in the border? Um, you know, these things, we just don't, we don't know what we don't know. If they can contain it, 
from now, and this is as bad as it gets, then I think they're probably pretty safe. Um, but it could and, get and, worse. And the delay in the election does maintain that Jacinda Ardern above politics thing. She didn't take the politically partisan option. She very she played the card and said, "Look at me. I I, I do the right thing. I am even to my opponents. I do the kind thing and give them the next couple of weeks." Right? I think it's still she's still on brand. Scotty. Yeah, and she and you would have seen over this week, she hasn't been fronting all of the press conferences at one o'clock like she used to. And the Minister of Health has actually taken more of a responsibility there. Now, you might say that's because um, things haven't been going so that's well. That's because it's week. a bad week, yeah. Because it's a bad <laughs> week. Yeah, exactly. But she does have pull. And you have to, if you're in the Labour Party, um, you are still um, pretty confident, right, that you're heading towards a, an election outcome that's going to be good for you. But the longer it goes on, the more likely there are for, for fumbles. One of the things I found interesting over the weekend was the number of Aucklanders out on the beach uh, and people wearing their their masks, but you've got people out during level three lockdown, which is different from what it was in the last one, where people were probably more trusting of what the government was saying and listening to what people were saying in the government and staying home. Yeah, and that's where, um, and you're getting this more breeding ground for the conspiracy theories as well, aren't you? With because. Um, the, 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 tr the trust sort of ebbs away a little bit. Um, you know, the first time it happens, it's easier to control the population, isn't it, in terms of what they believe and what they're going to do. And the second and the third time, you know, it's it's going to be a bit harder for them. There's a law of diminishing returns with lockdowns, isn't yeah, there? The lockdown excellent. law of diminishing returns. Um, fun fact, fun history fact for the day about delayed elections. This is the fourth delayed election that New Zealand's had. 1970 was delayed to 1919 because of World War One. Um, 1934 was delayed to 1935 um, at the end of the Depression. Um, and 1941 was delayed to 1943, um, which created the longest ever parliament for New Zealand. That was World War Two. Um, so there you go. This is the fourth time. So in those previous times, it was like a year or more that was delayed. So this is a this is a short one historically by delay. And interestingly enough, Labour parties did well in all those elections. But four weeks gives you time to find another bat in the drawer to beat the government down with. And the minor parties, just to finish on those guys, I mean, they're still struggling, right? You've talked about gold for national guy and, and Scott, but, but how, you know, if you're James Shaw, you're David Seymour, what the heck do you do in the next week or two? Yeah, um, certainly ACT would probably welcome that time, wouldn't they? I, I don't see too many downsides in, the, in, in that for them. I mean, they will feel that they have some momentum uh, going up, and, and possibly even James Shaw and the Greens, I don't see big downsides for them. Interestingly, it was New Zealand First who were pushing very hard to have it delayed, and maybe that is also um, because Winston Peters has been very good at, you know, public old school campaigning, right, which, um, you know, you need to be face-to-face um, -face with people in town halls. He's done well on that, and maybe his voters respond more to that and they like to go and see him. He's still a bit of a rock star at 75. And it's probably closer to Mick Jagger, is it? Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, he's... He moves he's, like uh, Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, one thing that uh, is not moving again, right, is the election date, unless... Uh, uh, unless the um, Electoral Commission um, steps in and, and takes over at some point. But the PM has been quite clear that, that she won't move it again. Uh, and so um, what happens if we have to go back into another lockdown? They'll be forced to go uh, more online. Everyone's going to have to prepare for what happens if we go back into lockdown. Uh, and what does the PM do next time if we go back into lockdown? What does that mean? Just on National's campaign and, and, and the tone 
uh, and the style. I'm not seeing the slickness that I saw even under Simon Bridges. They had a very slick online pre presence even you know months ago. It feels very old school to me. I, I look at those billboards of Collins and Brownlee. It sort of looks like sort of something out of the 50s. It, it looks very sort of tame and not slick and not very sharp. Yeah, I think all the parties need to up their game online a bit. Yeah, well, I think that this election potentially is going to come down who are the adopters and adapters in terms of how they campaign. Mm. And, well, everyone else has to adapt. Yeah, so. and just to add to Tim's fun facts, the one that I really like this week is the pushing out of the election date means that there will now be about 5,000 extra young people who turn 18 in that time yes. and are able to um, sign up and vote. So go them. Excellent. And hopefully they'll be listening to caucus right through until the election. And that is the way in which I wrap things up, guys. Hey, Guy Nespina, Scott Campbell, Lisa Rowan, I'm Tim Watkin. Thanks for that. Um, we'll be back with another podcast uh, of caucus next Thursday. And you can always listen to all of the caucus podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.